I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. I don't know about tomorrow, it may bring me poverty, but the Bibles and turn to Revelation, the book of Revelation in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, try to look on to the, with the person next to you. You might have the app, you might have an app on your phone, you can use that, or an iPad. It's important to be able to look at the Word of God, uh, otherwise you're just kind of taking my word for it, and I want to be trustworthy but uh, it's very important for you to be able to see the words of God yourself and read them and ponder them. Um, I, can, I know in, in my personal life there have been many times while the, the individual preaching is preaching, and uh, he may be making sense or not, but uh, I can look back at what he's preaching about and say, oh, that's what he's trying to say. He used uh, a thousand words to try to say that. It, there it is right there. It's clear. And uh, it's convicting, and uh, the Bible is that. Uh, Sometimes we as preachers can take simple things and make them complex, and uh, the goal is to take things that are complex and make them simple. I appreciated that song, Mrs. Merritt, very much. Uh, You might be here, and there's some things in your future that you're looking at, and you're saying, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. I don't don't know how those things are going to work out for me. I'm not sure how we're going to make it through that. What's going to happen? And I appreciate that song very much. If you're a born-again child of God, the Bible says that the Lord never 
leaves you nor forsakes you. And he is with you all the time. And he is everything that you need. And so that's a wonderful encouragement. The song before that we sang, Be Strong in the Lord. And the last stanza was written this way. It said, Be strong in the Lord and be of good courage. Your mighty commander will vanquish the foe. Fear not the battle, for the the victory is always his. He will protect you wherever you go. And, uh, of course, that is written more for us in this day and age as we're going through life and there are challenges and we can be we can be confident we don't have to live in fear and uh, we can be confident that he's with us and he they, they were the songwriter referred to the lord jesus christ as our commander will vanquish the foe um, but where we're what we're looking at here this evening in revelation chapter 19 has a lot to do with a commander uh, a king and a lord the lord um, and it has to do with vanquishing the foe. And uh, I want you to look in your Bibles, and I want you to see these words, because again, they are extreme. Most Bible messages that I preach do not have this element in it. Now, remember, the book of Revelation, most of it is prophetic, talking about things that have not happened yet. Uh, most people know about the book of Revelation at least this much. It talks about the end of the world. Um, and it does to a degree. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And it talks about what we know of as the earth coming to an end and a new, new leadership being established in the Lord Jesus Christ, old leadership being done away with. And uh, we've been going through it verse by verse. I hope you've learned a lot. Uh, let's look now at, at our passage, Revelation chapter 19, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. Verse number 11, last week, or the week before we looked at the marriage, the marriage of the Lamb, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the church coming together in unity in heaven, and then we looked at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and now here we look at what's called the Battle of Armageddon. How many of you have heard of that? How many of you heard of the Battle of Armageddon before? Can I see your hands? Okay, most of you in this room have. Um, is it real? Is it really going to happen? Is this something that's made up to scare us? Uh, uh, are we going to be there for it? Um, a lot of good questions could be asked, and we'll answer some of those questions tonight as we look at what the Bible says. And it's so important. There are a lot of people out there who will talk about future things, and they tend to read into what the Bible says and fill in the blanks, right, to make it easier, a little more exciting. Uh, I don't think it needs to be made any more exciting than it is, and it's not our job, remember this, it's not our job to fill in the blanks. Uh, Things that God has not made clear to us, it's because he doesn't want us to know what, what it is, and we need to be content with that, but we can know what he's written in his word. Look at verse number 11 of Revelation 19, it says this, John's writing, and he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. 
and that and, and he should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, all the birds, and he says, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And, and I saw the beast, that would be the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant which were slain, or the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which, which, uh, excuse me, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now, this is not all the Bible says about the Battle of Armageddon. It is uh, the, probably the primary passage in the Bible that talks about it. We're not gonna we're gonna stay with our passage uh, as we go through it here this evening. And let's look and see what God has to say about a day that has not come yet, but it is going to come. And a day where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to bring judgment, uh, final judgment and destruction upon the Antichrist and the religious leader that is working with the Antichrist. The uh, kings, the, the, the leaders, the national leaders who have joined forces with the Antichrist and all of those men and women who are in the militaries of those nations. And uh, it's going to be an awful day of judgment, but it's going to be a wonderful day of victory for, for, for God Almighty, okay? Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. You know our hearts. You know each one of us in this room, and you know if our hearts are antagonistic toward your word, uh, resentful against your authority, uh, rebellious, or, Lord, you know if our hearts are humble before you, and we want to know what you say, and we love you, and we, we uh, honor you as God for who you are. Father, I pray that you'd meet each need in this room tonight. Father, I pray that you'd soften hearts, and, Lord, that we, we'd be receptive to what you say. And, Lord, as we think about the destruction of, of sin and those who hate you, Father, I pray that we would do our, that you would use us to warn people today, uh, that we would live for you today with the lives that we have. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, all of the details, as I mentioned, are not given, all the details for the Battle of Armageddon are not given in this passage, okay? There are other details the Bible gives and we've, in fact, in Revelation, there are other details that the Bible gives about the Battle of Armageddon, and we're not going to go back and look at all of those. Uh, we've looked at some of those details in our study coming up to this point. There are just two, two main truths I want to consider tonight from this passage. One is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and two, what actually happens at the Battle of Armageddon. Notice with me again in verse 11 of Revelation 19, and we're going to read through at least part of this passage again. 
And it's probably been a while since you've read it. So look at the words and think through as we read and let the Spirit of God teach you. He says in verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. So who is sitting on the white horse? You, you tell me. The Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, has Jesus Christ always judged and made war? Have any of us experienced Jesus judging and make war, making war? No. How have we known the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we know him? Give me some descriptive words to describe our Lord and Savior. Loving, our Savior. Forgiving. Comforting, faithful. Merciful, caring. Okay, this is how we know the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time he came, he came as a conqueror or as a lamb to die on a cross for our sins. He came as a lamb. He didn't come as a conqueror. But the second time he comes, he's, he's not going to come as a lamb and allow people to drive nails into his hands and into his feet. He's not going to allow men who hate him to take a crown of thorns and beat it down into his skull, and he's not going to die on a cross. He's not going to die ever again. And so this time he comes in verse 12, notice, or verse 11, the latter part, he, uh, in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That is, his garments are splattered with blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And you remember, we talked about this before, this idea of a winepress, which would, they would take the grapes and they would put it in this large vat. And then oftentimes they would step into the grapes and they would, with their feet, squash and and squish out the juice from the the grapes. And it would run out and they would make, uh, they would have their, uh, their grape juice from that, their they're non-alcoholic wine. And, uh, and that's the idea, this word winepress of the wrath of God, the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And, and that's the idea of what's going to take place. Verse number 16 says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, and here is his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, again, I want to emphasize to you, we're talking about something that has not happened yet. And it's called the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Remember, in the first coming, he came to die. In the second coming, he's he's going to come to conquer. And in between the first coming, he came born of a virgin Mary in Bethlehem. Sinless years, he lived on this earth. Uh, and died a horrible death in crucifixion, a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me to pay the price of our sin. That's the first coming. The second coming, he's coming as a conquering king. And in the middle, 
we have, we have uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to return, but he's not going to actually touch earth. He's going to catch the saints, those who are saved, away to be with him for all of eternity. And that's called the rapture. We're not, this is not the rapture that he's talking about here. Um, so the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is coming with who are the people that are with him? Who is this army that's with him? And it, he's coming with his saints to defeat his evil enemy by force and to impose upon the earth a time of peace. That's what he's coming for. Notice again verse number 11, and I want you to notice the character of our Lord and Savior. And you really get a chance to see the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, the revelation could be called the apocalypse, the term revelation could be translated that way. In fact, the Greek word is uh, apocalypt, uh, apocalyptus or something like that. Um, but revelation, really the revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, of who he is. Look again at verse number 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So Jesus Christ is coming again in power and great glory, not as a baby. And you see the names that are mentioned there in the middle of verse number 11, faithful and true, and they remind us of Christ's character. Now, think with me for a moment about kings and queens and, and polit- political leaders. Uh, are the words faithful and true ever the kind of words you think about when you think about political leaders in general? Not in general. Now, there, I'm sure there are some out there who are faithful and true, but not normally. Those aren't normally the words that come to our, our minds. Uh, just uh, recently, a friend was talking to me about some, some leadership changes that are happening in Saudi Arabia. And uh, this supposedly progressive king who's going to be taking power, I think he's a prince now, but he's going to be taking power, and I don't remember his name, um, He's, he's quite progressive for Saudi Arabia, so much so that he's begun to announce that he's planning to allow women to drive themselves around. <laughs> okay, wow, you know, uh, really, don't go too far. Okay, anyway, uh, so he's quite progressive for Saudi Arabia, and interestingly enough that uh, this benevolent king-to-be, all uh, just in the last couple weeks, most everybody who would have opposed him is dead. Uh, accidents, crashes, helicopter crashes, disappearing, just, you know, um, and you know what, that's not uncommon. If you know history at all and you study history at all, that's kind of how it worked in England, right, with their kings, and they would war against each other and connive and try to overthrow one another. In Rome, um, the, the uh, emperors of Rome, they would, uh, they would try to kill one another. In fact, sometimes if, if a father was in control and he thought his sons were too, too close in age and people liked them, they would actually kill their own sons and family so that they could procure their leadership for, for a longer period of time. So we don't normally think of faithful and true when we think of leadership of the world. Really, throughout history, kings and queens and politicians uh, are just the opposite. They lie, scheme, mislead, deceive, connive, manipulate. They twist things. They're paid off and they 
uh, pay other people off. That's normally how things are work. Uh, normally, think how things work with uh, human leadership on earth. But this king that you read about in verse number eleven is faithful. He is true. It, it is uh, it is Christ who cannot be manipulated. Uh, he cannot be anything else. Jesus Christ is not going to come and try to persuade the world that he should be king. He's not going to come and try to persuade the world to accept him as king. Uh, the people of earth, in fact, are going to organize to fight against Christ, who they have been rejecting for years, and who their system has been rejecting for thousands of years, really since the beginning. And so when Christ comes, it's going to be obvious to all. He is king of heaven. He's king of earth. Notice verse number 11, the latter part. It says, in righteousness he doth judge and make war. In righteousness. Righteousness means that he does what is right. It's going to be right for him to do this. Christ will judge and make war. We have have read and we've studied about the judgment of God upon the rebelliousness of mankind during the tribulation period. We studied the judgments, you remember them? The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bull or the vile judgments. And when those judgments are over, Christ is going to make war. Christ has patiently endured the rejection of man, of mankind. He's patiently endured the derision of mankind. And now, at this point in history, it's not yet come, uh, Christ is going to someday make war. Do you remember on the cross... Uh, Christ witnessed the hatred of mankind toward him. And remember what he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They hated him. They nailed him to a cross. They gambled for his clothing. Uh, They derided him. And uh, Christ's response was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But there's coming a day, uh, while they've had contempt for truth and righteousness in the past, uh, there's coming a day where he's coming to make war. Remember, in the first coming, he came as a lamb to die. That was his only purpose in coming, to do the will of his Father and to die, to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his goal. It was a, it was a mission of peace so that people, as we talked about this morning, could be reconciled to God, not face his judgment, not be held accountable for their sin. That's why Jesus Christ came the first time. But the second coming, friend, he's going to come, and he's going to come to make war. Um, Notice in verse 12, uh, Christ's name is a mystery in verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, which has the idea of an intensity. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. There's not much I can say about that. It's pretty clear. I can't tell you what it is. No man knows but he himself. Notice in verse number 13, though, that Christ's name is a name of ministry. Verse number 13, notice with me. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Has Jesus Christ ever gone by that that name before? The Word? Can you remember where? John. John chapter 1. Turn there with me, would you? John chapter 1. Let's remind ourselves of this passage. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to come back right back to Revelation in just a couple minutes. Now, the ministry or the intent 
with which Jesus Christ is going to come back as the Word of God in someday at the second coming is different than the ministry he had as the Word of God in John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, you remember he came and he, he became flesh. That is, he was born a human being, a man. He dwelt among us and he was full of grace and truth. But that's not the way he's coming back. Look at, look at John chapter 1 in verse number 1. I'll read down through verse 5. There's more here that we could read. I'm going to read through verse 5 and then we'll look at verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word. You see that W is capitalized? It's talking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is God. You say, well, he's the Son of God. Yes. Well, but you said he was God. Yes. Jesus is God, the Son of God, God in human flesh. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 tells us that the Word, Jesus Christ, helped and actually helped create the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, all things were made by him. I'd say that's a help. He made everything. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ is the creator. He created heavens and earth, have the heaven and earth. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's life. Those who, First John, John talked about it in First John. He said, he that hath the Son, he that hath the Son, S-O-N, capital S, Jesus Christ, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't have eternal life. But if you have received Jesus Christ, then you are the possessor of everlasting life. Verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, I'm going to skip down to verse 14 in John chapter 1. And the Word was made flesh. What is, what is that a reference to? It's a reference to what we'll celebrate next month. Jesus, we call his name Jesus, born in Bethlehem. God, be, taking on a, upon himself human flesh. God, the God who created heavens and earth, all the heaven and earth, is born in a, in a, in a stable in Bethlehem? Held by his mother, Mary, an infant? A helpless baby? Yes, to, to live a sinless life, to be crucified on a cross? Yes. Verse 14 again, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you can turn back to Revelation chapter 19. The first time the Word of God came to us, was in the form of a baby, and then he grew, and he honored his mom and his dad, and he obeyed the word of God, and he kept the law, and he was tempted, but never sinned. None of us in this room can say that. And he lived a sinless life, and he was crucified, and again, he came full of grace, unmerited favor. People possessed by evil spirits, and he would cast out the evil spirit, not because they deserved it, because he came full of grace and, 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 and truth. And he would teach the truth and people would reject him. And, and he would feed people. And he would heal people. And he would make the blind to see. And he would make the lame to walk. And he would he raise people from the dead. Why? Because the word of God came to mankind full 
of grace, unmerited favor, and truth. But we're here in Revelation 19, and the Word of God in Revelation 19 has a vastly different mission than the Word of God in John chapter 1. When the Word of God came in John 1, he was full of grace and truth. In Revelation 19, his ministry is one of battle and war and conquest. Notice notice in our passage, his vesture is dipped in blood. You see that in verse 13? He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of of wrath of Almighty God. Christ's garments, when he comes the second time, are going to be dyed red with blood. While the armies of heaven astride white horses, where where, where their garments are going to be white and clean. In other words, you and I are really not going to play a role in the battle. We are going to be there as witnesses. In the Old Testament, Enoch, you remember Enoch walked with God. He prophesied, and in, in Jude, in the New Testament, quotes him. It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. That's you and me, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have uh, ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now listen to this. Christ will speak. What's going to be the ebb and flow of the battle, we could ask? Well, the ebb and flow is going to be this. Christ is going to speak. And that is all. And his enemies will die where they stand. There isn't going to be any ebb and flow to the battle of Armageddon. It's going to be an incredible sight. The saints of heaven astride white horses, led by our Lord and Savior and King. The kings and armies of the earth will be joined together for one reason alone, to defeat God Almighty, that'll be the reason the armies of the earth are gathered together in one place to defeat this. They'll view Jesus Christ as an invader. They will have been deceived by the speeches of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the religious leader of their day. And, of course, we've read about how demons will be active in deceiving mankind. They will watch the heavens open. They will see Jesus Christ, King of heaven and earth, ride toward them, and they will see, followed after him, rank after endless rank of those who have been redeemed by his blood. Notice in verse number 16 that Christ's name is a name of majesty. Verse number 16. And do look at the word of God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. One of the reasons why I keep encouraging you to look at the word of God is uh, you should never believe anyone who preaches something different than what the Bible says, okay? And if ever I begin to preach something different than what the Bible says, you should not listen to what I say. But it's important for you to see it with your own eyes. It's important for the Spirit of God to teach you. So we see here the name of majesty, 
uh, written on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded when I, when I read this name, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I'm reminded of Pontius Pilate. In John 19 and verse 19, Pontius Pilate mocked the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Pontius Pilate had said, Do you want me to release Barabbas, uh, who is a Jewish zealot, who would fight actively against the Romans, the Roman government, try to overthrow the Roman government who was living in Jerusalem and in Israel during that time. And he was a violent man. Or would you have me release to you Jesus? And the crowds cried out for who to be crucified. They yelled out, crucify Jesus and release to us Barabbas. And Pontius Pilate said, I don't find any fault with this man. Uh, in other words, Pontius Pilate couldn't find any guilt with Jesus. And you remember how he washed his hands publicly as if to say, I bear no fault in this man's death because you're killing a man who's innocent. That was the, uh, that was the political leader of that day saying, Jesus is innocent, but if you want him dead, so be it. But it's not on my, not on my hands. But Pontius Pilate mocked Christ. Because the Bible tells us in John 19, verse 19, and Pilate wrote a title. He gave Jesus a title and put it on the cross above Jesus' head where he hung. And the writing was this. This is the title that Pontius Pilate gave Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That was the title that hung over Jesus' head while he hung on the cross and died. And really, Pilate was mockingly calling Jesus the king of the Jews. You're killing your own king. Little did they know. Pilate was close, but the title that Pilate gave Jesus that day was too narrow. Because Jesus is not merely the king of the Jews. He is the king of heaven and earth. He is the king of heaven and earth. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the title that we read in verse number 16. Christ will be the king of the earth. Now, he is not reigning as that today, though he ought to be king of your life and king of my life. He ought to be Lord of my life. He ought to be the supreme authority of my life. Am I the supreme authority of my life? Do I go through life just what I buy, what I give? where I live, how I live my life? Do I, am I just making all those decisions just how I feel like doing it that day? Or am I allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to guide and direct me in life as I go through life? Because someday he's going to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now why is the Lord's title written upon his thigh? You might ask that question. Or what is the, 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 the uh, message... Uh, that Christ's title is also written on his vesture. Well, the vesture uh, communicates his position, while the thigh, his title written on his thigh, is his title. Um, The thigh is associated with power. Jacob wrestled with the angel until his thigh was out of joint and his resistance was broken. He ran out of power. Psalm 45 and verse 3 says, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh. It's a position of power almost Mighty with thy glory and thy majesty. The the Messiah's sword is upon his thigh. The thigh is associated with power. Um, Christ's title is also written on his vesture, and that communicates his position. It says that his vesture, his 
clothing is stained with the blood of his enemies. Now, I want to notice secondly here this evening the victory and conquest of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you find in verses 17 down through verse number 21. Uh, when Jesus Christ returns on this day that we're talking about that hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen in the future, when he returns to the earth for the second time, the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and all of their allies are going to be destroyed. And there is no hope of victory for Satan's forces. Notice in verses 17 and 18, it says this. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, small and great. I wonder, I wonder if the armies of the earth that are gathered there that day are going to be able to hear the words, the announcement, the invitation of the angel. I wonder if they're going to be able to hear the angel invite all of the birds of the earth to come and feast on them. At this point, the battle of Armageddon hasn't been fought. This is just an announcement. But the messenger of God is calling the birds of the earth to come and prepare to eat the flesh of God's enemies. This is not uncommon uh, after battles, and it's gone on for many hundreds of years. And even in our day, after a battle where uh, birds of prey or vulture-like birds will come in and, and feast on those who are dead laying on the battlefield. John Phillips says it this way, With each passing moment the skies grow darker with these birds of prey. There cannot be a vulture and an eagle, a raven left on earth that has not obeyed the summons and come to the supper of God. Satan's armies are doomed. The fierce fowl know it and have come to bury the dead in the name of the living God. Even I've read accounts during the Civil War where as the men would be gathering on their different sides preparing for the battle, that the birds would begin to gather to the battle awaiting the battle's end. Notice in verse number 19 that the armies of the earth have gathered to fight against Christ and his army. Verse 19. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, that's who the beast is. He's a a man who's at this point possessed by the devil himself. And I saw the beast of the kings of the earth. Those are the world leaders of the earth. And their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Why have the armies of the earth gathered in this place? And the answer, you might look back to chapter 16 and verse 14. Chapter 16 and verse 14 says, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Uh, we've talked about it on Sunday morning, a, a week or two ago, I think, where we talked about the prince of the, the, the course of this world. Do you remember that? And the, and the course of this world is set by the prince of the power of the air, the devil. Well, you know, I, I don't know, Seth. I just think, you know, music comes and goes, and it has nothing to do with the devil. It has nothing to do with Satan. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, culture and, and, and the the things that are popular in our world and things that are accepted in our world. That has nothing to do with the devil. It's just mankind. That's not true. 
the course of this earth is actually determined or influenced or led, I could say it that way, led by the evil one himself. Now, most people today, we don't think, uh, most unsaved people, they don't go through life thinking, what does the devil want me to do today? No, they get up and think, what do I want to do today? What purchases do I want to make today? What do I want to listen to today? What do I want to do with my life? It's for me, it's my life. But actually, the devil is working in and through people. And uh, he does, through demonic influence, draw the king's and their armies to this one particular location. Whatever their original motives, whatever they think they're gathering for, after they are gathered, they are determined to make war against him that sat on the horse. Do you see it in verse number 11? Uh, I think it's chapter 16. They are determined to make war against him that sat on the horse. Psalm 2 warns and instructs the kings of the earth, but at this point in in world history... The leaders of the earth have no desire to serve God, but in the rebellion they are actually carrying out the will of God. Men united against Jesus at his first coming. They will unite against him at his second coming. They did their worst to him when they crucified him, but they only succeeded in accomplishing God's will. And they will do the same when they united against the Lord someday in the future to oppose his return. The kings and nations of the earth will think that they're working together to their own plans, when in reality they are carrying out the will of God. Notice in verses 20 and 21, the armies of the earth are destroyed. Verse 20 and 21 say this, And the beast, the Antichrist, was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And verse 21 says, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Imagine, the armies march across the plains of Galilee, file through the passes and deploy on the fertile plains of, or the fertile fields of Megiddo. What masses of military equipment are stockpiled in the hills? What fleets ride at anchor in the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, and along the shorelines of the Mediterranean Sea? What stirring strains of martial music are heard? The ground shakes to the beat of marching feet. The skies darken with aircraft drawn from the ends of the earth. Amazing new weapons are brought into the place. The troops are encouraged by the Antichrist and the false prophet. Victory will be secure for them, they think. The final commands are given. And then, suddenly, it is over. It is over. It will all be over. In fact, there will be no battle at all. There will be no fighting back and forth. Sitting astride a white horse, Jesus Christ will speak. And at his word, the enemies of God will die. And once You might remember this. Once Jesus Christ spoke to a fig tree and it withered and died during his earthly ministry. Once Jesus spoke a word to howling winds and boisterous waves and they became peaceful. You remember that? Peace be still in the Sea of Galilee. I'm reminded of creation. In John chapter 1 we find that the word is Jesus Christ and that he actually, everything is created by him. And Genesis tells us a little bit more about that. That he spoke and it 
came into being. By his word, by the word of his mouth, that is the power of God. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not going to be fighting back and forth. Once, during his earthly ministry, Jesus spoke to a legion of demons terrorizing a man's soul, and instantly they fled. And there is coming a day when Jesus will speak, and the battle of Armageddon will be over before it begins. The Antichrist, you saw there uh, in verses 20 and 21, the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into everlasting fire. And then you notice the end of verse 21, the panic-stricken enemies fall down dead. Everyone from the rank and file to the generals, the captains, are dead. And the vultures descend and cover the scene. The Bible talks about how the blood will flow uh, in that valley up to the horse's bridle. And, and you know, as I read this passage, and we could say to ourselves, well, what, what, Seth, what do we do with that? Well, I think there's a couple things that we do with this when we, when we read about this passage and we study about something that we're not going to go through, we're not going to suffer through, we're going to be there for it, we're going to witness it, but we're not, going to, we're not going to be on the receiving end of it if you're a child of God. What do we do with this? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, you and I need to be reminded, and I am reminded when I think about this, how severely God deals with the rebellion of mankind. Um, and it, it, you know what it reminds me of is that God is holy and that mankind is sinful. I'm also reminded that Jesus, he, don't forget, this is his second coming we're talking about, but remember his first coming. Don't forget that, how he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you and I, while we live on this earth, have an opportunity and a responsibility to tell other people that Jesus Christ is God and he came and he died in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sins, never to bear the punishment for our sins, and that God will forgive them if they will receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that's something, if you're here this evening and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this sounds terrible and harsh. And I'd also be reminded of hell is a horrible place. But it is not God's will that anybody go to hell. Because God came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you lost? Are you dead in your sins and trespasses? And if you are, won't you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Won't you believe upon Him? Ask Him to save you. Believe upon Him. And for us who are saved, as we go through this life and we're tempted to walk in the flesh and just kind of go with the flow of society and pretend like there's no difference, you know, there's not a lot of difference between my flesh and society. Both are wicked. But there is a big difference between the Holy Spirit of God who lives within every blood-bought saint, every child of God. There's a big difference between the Holy Spirit of God, God who lives within us, God who is holy, and the course of this world that is anti-God and anti-Christ. And you and I should be, should be careful of just going along willy-nilly with whatever the world does. Like it's no big deal. It's okay. It's not okay. And you and I shouldn't be okay with it. God wants us to be salt and light. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be different. And when we read a passage like this, it sobers, sobers us up a little bit. It makes us think honestly for a little bit and in reality that God is holy and he will not abide sinfulness forever. He will not do it. Okay.
Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. This is a sobering passage of Scripture. And Lord, it's really hard for us to comprehend. We don't live our lives in, in anything like this. Um, even for most of us, death doesn't even seem real most of the time. And we just go through life like there'll never, our lives will never end. And we're never going to be accountable for what, how, we, how we live our lives. And Father, I'm reminded in this passage that you are holy and that you are God and that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. Father, I pray for us as as individuals that we will worship you alone and love you alone. And Father, help us to live our lives in this earth in such a way that would please you. Uh, Father, I pray these things for your honor and for your glory. And in Christ's name, amen. Let's take a five-minute break. Um, We are going to have a family meeting at...